I started writing Food for the Archons as a book of despair after watching my father die in 2013. During his transition, I experienced a series of paranormal and psychic events that left me feeling that I had either gone completely crazy or fell into humanity's darkest secret. I spent the next five years conducting extensive research, and I quickly learned that what I had experienced was real. My journey brought me to an understanding that showed me that despite the terrifying reality of an unseen predator, we as humans have a forgotten power. Just knowing this brings us tremendous hope in what once seemed a dark reality. I wrote this book for me in hopes of gaining a better understanding of our reality and relationship to it, but my hope is that you will find as much value in reading it as I did in writing it. I am human, food for the Archons, humanity's psychic connections, simulated realities, parallel worlds, and the manipulation of mankind. It's available on Amazon.com and at SixthSenseMedia.net and wherever books are sold. I'm Dennis Nappy II, reminding you to let your intuition be your guide. Thank you. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. But there's something wrong in the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Viruses, pandemics, COVID-19, the coronavirus, national emergencies, closure of borders, possible martial law. What is going on in this world, truth seekers? Dennis Nappy II here, back in the saddle for the Seeker podcast. Apologies. Hey, man, things have been crazy, uh, and there's been a lot going on. But uh, here I am back on the air, as most of us now have whole bunch of extra downtime as more and more places of business are closing. My school naturally was on spring break. We went one day early thanks to good old COVID-19 closing us down a little bit earlier. I suspect we're going to be home a little bit longer than two weeks. I've seen projections six to eight weeks, and I think this is going to continue on beyond that as we deal with the impacts of the COVID-19 or coronavirus. What the heck, man? It's been uh, it's been a journey. And, and I just kind of went on a, a passive-aggressive little rant on Facebook. Not even a rant. I went back to my previous shows uh, and I looked. I started covering coronavirus January 27th, 2020. Coronavirus mindset, are you prepared? February 3rd, 2020, coronavirus impact impacts. Uh, February 23rd, energy parasites, UFOs, plagues, and viruses. And March 2nd, this was my last transmission, coping with fears, the coronavirus. That's where I basically had a breakdown on the air because of what I saw coming here. And what I was told was coming. This is not just coming from me. But why am I doing that? I'm going to vent, guys. I love y'all. I'm going to vent frustration frustration uh you know putting it out there and just i'm with this this show i want to talk a little bit about beliefs uh, because i think it's important and i think this is an interesting thing to study as we go into this what i would say is a crisis depending on you know your level of preparedness and awareness but globally right now this is some form of a crisis with everything that's going on and the virus is just the tip of the iceberg the virus is just the catalyst to that crisis that a lot of people still aren't seeing or realizing um, but i started getting worried about this uh, a few months back and uh, I, I tried to warn people in my circles and i i didn't get <laughs> i didn't get a lot of uh positive feedback or acceptance of what i was saying and i get it cognitive dissonance kicks in no way that's not going to happen here that's too far away blah 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 blah, blah. even as far as like a, a couple days ago when i was saying hey get some stuff people just didn't seem to think that anything was going to happen now i the other piece that wasn't being considered was the panic factor. And I, I was saying this. I was saying, even if this virus isn't deadly, the shelves are going bare. Now, I'm sure they'll restock a few times. And maybe they'll continue to restock and we'll recover and we'll be fine. We don't have to worry about this. 
but they're closing more and more businesses down. Right now, they're trying to keep essential businesses open. But what if the essential business in your neighborhood, the owner gets sick or dies or the staff is infected and they can't go to work and open the supermarket or the grocery store? These are the thoughts that I was having. These are what I was trying to put out. I know that this is... This is wrong of me to go off on this, but I just I just need to vent for a minute, guys. And then I'm getting reports of some of the people that I spoke with standing in line for two, three hours the day of when, you know, this was this past Thursday, the day the panic set in trying to get food. I don't know why that frustrates me so much. Uh, I, I think it's probably... Maybe it's tied into my ego. I don't know. I'm doing some self-reflection on that, why it bothered me so much. Um, But the reality is, if we could have worked together and listened and worked through this ahead of time, then the panic wouldn't be here now. And uh, we might be in a much better situation. We might be in a much better place where the fear wasn't as strong and we wouldn't have to worry about people fighting over toilet paper of all of all resources toilet paper is what you're most worried about here's a little tip get a bidet that's it you don't gotta worry about the toilet paper you know people are just not thinking outside the box and 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 that's why i want to think i want to talk about beliefs on this show we all have them myself included and some of my positions and my ideas and my theories they come from the belief systems that I am I am involved in right now. Now, some of my beliefs I'm very well aware of. Some of them I'm probably not aware of. But I think if we can take a moment to look at our own beliefs, then we can see if they're serving us or enslaving us and hindering our decision-making processes. I've spoken to people who've said, you know, we're going to be fine here. I mean, I was I was looking at other countries as a model for what was coming here. And I kept using Italy as an example. I kept saying, look, it's getting bad in Italy. We're next. They're a few weeks ahead of us. They're shutting things down. They're shutting more things down. Uh, they just quarantined the whole nation. And I kept hearing, that's not going to happen here. We're on top of it. We got the best doctors. We've got the CDC. We're not going to make those mistakes. We know what we're doing. Really? Were you aware that they weren't testing everybody? Were you aware that our healthcare workers were not protected during this? Were you aware of how much this was spreading unnoticed in the country before we became, quote, aware of the problem? No, we weren't. We had this blind faith and belief, and many of us still do have that blind faith and belief in these establishments that are there. But let me say this. The CDC exists for for instances like this. This is one of their sole purposes, along with FEMA and other aspects of the government, Homeland Security. They should all have plans for this. Why have I been talking about this since January 27th publicly and yet our government doesn't come out with plans really until the last week when they really start locking things down i work for a school and my school started coming up with their plan a few days ago why didn't fema or the cdc have pre-prepared plans that went out months ago saying hey make sure you're ready for this just in case so the schools could start preparing for this so they could start putting food aside to feed the underprivileged families instead of panicking right now when the virus is spreading and shutting down these are the questions that we should be asking and these are the things we need to be aware of when we move into yes the next crisis because this is not the only one and i know i sound harsh and i know i sound fire and brimstone right now but Come on, man, pay attention to what's going on, because those of you out there who are sticking your head in the sand in your ignorance are causing problems for the rest of us. Stay home. Stay away. Get yourself prepared ahead of time so then you don't have to be part of the problem that now we have to also worry about. There's bigger things going on here, but I hate to say it, 
Our minds are programmable. That's just it. And there are those in power, positions of power, that know it. And many of us fell right into what they wanted. And now we have to deal with the repercussions of those actions or our inactions. Now we can sit here and say, this is media hype. This is a false flag. And as I said before, if this is media hype, number one, I know we have a free press, but how come nobody from the government or in an official capacity stepped up or granted an interview and said, don't believe the hype. This isn't something to be worried about. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not someone orchestrating this and scaring up this virus. Maybe it's not that bad. You know, they say the flu kills more people. Well, I've looked at some reports, too, that say this virus is even more deadly. We could go back and forth with rumors, ideas, theories, but here's where we are. Here's the reality. This is our situation right now. The virus is being used, whether real, fake, embellished, whatever, it's being used to drastically alter our way of life right now. It has crashed the stock market, the worst crash since the Great Depression. Now, they keep pumping it up, and then it keeps falling back down. It's up, it's down, it's very liquid right now. People are out of work. Now, they're coming out with an economic stimulus package, which sounds great. What? How else is this going to play out? Is this Again, belief system. Do you trust that this is going to be okay? That everything's going to be fine and in six months we will be back to our normal way of life? Or in six months will we be back at a new normal? We also need to keep in mind as we're going through this, what if another disaster strikes? What if something else hits us? What are we going to do? Life goes on. Natural disasters still happen. Acts of war still occur. I'm not trying to scare you guys, but we need to be in this mindset right now. Now is the time to hunker down and get your plans in order, as, this, as it should have been a month ago, two months ago. But we still have time. Now things, if you're home, if you've got your supplies, now start reassessing what's going on in the world what do i need to do how can i prepare my mind how can i protect my family it's not the time to go out and start picking fights and start squabbling over things start building senses of community whether it's online or in your local community reach out to people start working together I'm not saying, you know, violate this social distancing thing, because I do think that there's still some issues here with this virus that could be dangerous for some of us. So I, I'm practicing that social distancing. But this may just be the beginning. And maybe it's not, my friends. Maybe this will all blow over, which is what we all hope. But what if it doesn't? What if it doesn't? Now, I know a lot of you out there are like me, and you've had these feelings your entire life that something was coming, something big, something survival-esque. Is this it? Maybe this is a part of it. We are living in challenging times. I believe, and I'm using the word belief intentionally, I believe we are going through a transition, a transition that will impact our society in ways many people aren't prepared to deal with. And we need to be mindful of that. We need to understand, as we watch it happen now, how people are going to react and what impact that's going to have on our own infrastructure, safety, and well-being. Are you ready for that? And looking at the economy, it's no secret. I work with the crypto viewing team. We've been looking at, I, I think, three years they've been going. I've been with the team for about a year and a half now. And I remember a year and a half ago, sitting in on briefings and them saying, hey, the economy is going to change. We're moving from a fiat monetary system 
to a digital-based economy that will require you to have a digital ID that will have implications throughout the world on things like politics, leadership, and borders. Sounds crazy. I freaked out a little bit when I heard it, but couldn't fully wrap my mind around it because it was such a foreign concept to me. Over the past year, I've studied, I've listened, I've debriefed, and uh, I see it unfolding. And I've shared as much as I can with all of you on this platform. And I, I think I've done a pretty good job of at least pointing you in the right direction. Are we moving into cryptocurrency soon? I tend to think yes. I think that the market is moving in that direction. Are you prepared for that? You're home now. Might not be a bad idea to start getting some cryptocurrency. I'm not giving financial advice. Not at all. But I would suggest studying cryptocurrency. A great place would be uh, cryptoviewing.com. Start checking out the information that we have up there. Or do your own research and look into it and see uh, you know, what you think. Because there's a change coming. And you need to decide where you're going to be when that change actually hits us. And we see all the indicators now. And that's why I freaked out so much is because things that I talked about, things that were told to me six months to a year ago, I'm now seeing in the news. Things that Edward Reardon, Dick Allgaier, and Daz Smith saw in the remote viewing sessions are now appearing in the news. Now, we can look at that data and say, well, that's remote viewing data. Maybe they're just folk reporting information that's on the news stories. Possibly, but Edward's also pulling, he pointed out, he's pulling out stuff uh, that wasn't in the news, things that are just happening all around. So my point is, I believe there's something big going on here. And I think we need to be prepared for that. I don't think it's too late to get prepared yet uh, with everything that may be coming down soon, but we need to get into that mindset as things change. And I want to stress as you get into that mindset, keep the mindset of community. Don't have the... Look, safety first, but try not to be this angry, defensive hoarder. Connect with people, like-minded people, and make a plan. Hey, if this happens, let's work together. Let's establish trust. Because you don't want to go this alone. I know I don't. I certainly don't want to go this alone. I'm sure if this intuitive drive to those of us that are connected to it works the way I've seen it work so far, your group will, will reach out to you and you have already probably made those connections. I know my people have all throughout this and I'm thankful for them. So very thankful for them. So here we are. A couple things that I want to cover. Uh, a couple stories in the news here that tie into a lot of things. I, and I want to talk about, like I said, belief systems. Let me start with that. Let me give a, a, a quote from my book here. Hey, look, shameless plug here. You're stuck at home. You want something to read? I am human. Food for the archons. Humanity's psychic connections, simulated realities, parallel worlds, and the manipulation of mankind. No, I'm not trying to use a crisis to sell my book. Please don't accuse me of that. I do want to say this. With the, the information that I was given for this book that came as a result of the way my father died, it has given me a perspective and advantage that makes it easier to process what's happening. Doesn't mean it's sad. Not sad. Doesn't mean I'm not afraid. But it allowed me... I think it, it, it dissolved some of my beliefs that could have been dangerous for me in, in the way I suspect this world really operates. And I talked about that a little bit more detail uh, on the last show I did talking about how, how afraid I was of things. And, and my apologies for such a fear-based show. But I wanted to be real with all of you and let you know what I was going through. I know I didn't get the best reaction to that one, but I, I'm trying. I, I'm not, I just want to be authentic. Um, obviously I'm feeling a lot better today and, uh, I want to share something here from the book, but again, this, I think 
it's a spiritual journey, but it also gives us an understanding of, of kind of how the world's run. And when you can see that, I believe you can better navigate it when you understand how it runs. If you believe that your government's here to take care of you and everything's going to be okay because they have a plan, I'm sorry to tell you, but I think you're in some serious trouble. This will help. All right. So I came across in my writing, in my research, a guy by the name of Stanley Milgram. There was a documentary on Netflix. I, I did a whole show on this. Uh, I'll look for the link. I'll try to have it in the show notes. And, and I got to get the newsletter out this week, too. It's been a while. Um, but take a look. Uh, Stanley Milgram, he did a, a lot of study, a lot of research on obedience. And basically what he did was he was trying to understand why so many Nazi soldiers could kill so many innocent Jews and other people during the uh, you know, World War II Holocaust. And he designed an experiment where he brought in um, two people. One was the teacher and one was the student. And he showed the teacher where the student was sitting. He let the teacher see the student get hooked up to these electrodes. And then the teacher went into another room and then would ask the student questions. Every time the student got a question wrong, the teacher electrocuted the student. And uh, the student would scream, stop, stop, stop. And what they found was that in 60% of the cases, the teacher administered a dose of electricity that was strong enough to cause harm to the student. I'm sorry, that was in 100% of the cases. 100% of the cases, the teacher caused harm to the student. In 60% of the cases, the teacher was willing to administer a dose of electricity that was fatal to the student when they became unresponsive. Why? Because an authority figure told them to do it. That tells us a lot about the human psyche, about our ability to be programmed, influenced, and manipulated. This is something we need to be aware of as we're being constantly hit from trusted authorities with what's going on in the world. It's why I end every show saying, let your intuition be your guide. Not CNN, not the CDC, not Donald Trump or Pence or anybody else out there your intuition you can take that information in but you need to filter it through your own gut through your own intuitive processes it's hard to do that when you're in a fight or flight mode i haven't been able to remote view in the past two weeks because i've been so panicked i'm finally feeling calm again and i can get back in touch i knew that was coming and i knew i'd have this time again to calm myself down but it's essential as 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 the as the gnostics texts say the archons threw man out of the garden and threw them into a life of chaos so they would not be distracted with matters of the Holy Spirit. There's a reason why we're being so hit with so much fear and panic right now, because we're not able to tap in to our true power and our true connection. And I encourage you, meditate, meditate some more. If you haven't started learning to remote view, do it now. Astral projection, do it now. Meditate. Do it now. It's important. We can't lose that. It's essential as we move into this. All right. Back to the book here. So uh, I'm, I'm skipping around here, but this is talking about the Milgram experiment towards the end of the book. I don't remember what I said or not, but uh, if, I, if I disclose this yet, but during the Milgram experiment, the student who was getting electrocuted was actually a part of the experiment nobody was actually harmed actually except the teacher the uh the teacher in the experiment had suffered some psychological trauma which is why this experiment caught so much heat because they really believed that they were killing somebody and that that was uh, frowned upon significantly by the by the scientific and research community but there were a lot of lessons learned from that milgram experiment so here we go. The results, the results, this is my writing here. The results of this experiment were shocking and offered an insight into the darkness of human potential. It demonstrated the weakness of the human spirit to succumb to a perceived authority, no matter what the costs. In 1974, Milgram discussed his agency theory, which states that when in social situations, people have two states of behavior. The first state is known as the autonomous state, where people are in charge of, of and aware of their own actions. They are responsible for their behavior and take responsibility for it. The second state of behavior is the agentic state where people allow their actions to be directed by others, 
and pass the responsibility or blame for the consequences of those actions to the person directing their actions. While the Milgram experiment teaches us, uh, what the Milgram experiment teaches us is that when certain conditions are met, people can be manipulated to do terrible things to include the torture and murder of another, even if such actions go against their own moral compass. I go on to describe uh, exactly what those conditions are that need to be met um, in order for that to happen. But I see those conditions present right now uh, in the media. Now, we are not doing direct harm to other people by by some of the hoarding that's happening by some of the panic that's happening again our authorities telling us they've been saying it now stock up get your stuff prepare to be home socially distance yourself could that change with the way fear is going right now are people going to believe the hype that's coming out what if they decide to take more extreme measures of the infected you get a bunch of people sick. You get a bunch of people losing loved ones. I worry what solutions they'd be willing to accept as they're in that raw, angry, and saddened state of grief. Keep your mind about you. Keep your wits about you as we move through this process and watch it unfold. And you can stay ahead of it. You can certainly stay even if it's just one step ahead of it. I know I got into some in touch with some people as early as Thursday morning. I was able to get in touch with some people. And they got to the stores hours, just a few short hours before the crowds hit. That's all it takes is a, a, a few steps ahead sometimes to, uh, to, to navigate what's going on. So the Milgram experiment. Does it apply to the coronavirus? Absolutely. There's a trusted authority on TV constantly telling us what to do, what to think. And we can take the actions that are recommended to us by that trusted authority and not have to feel the guilt over it. We can place the blame on that trusted authority and do what they say, especially if those directions keep us somewhat within our comfort zone and make us feel safe. That doesn't mean what they're telling us is always the best thing. I need to stop there. But let's move on. I've got some uh, some interesting things in the news I want to share. Uh, I want to talk a little about climate stuff. Here we go. This one. This is from Yahoo News. I saved this on March 6th. The robots are fighting the coronavirus in China by disinfecting hospitals, taking temperatures, and preparing meals. The coronavirus outbreak, uh, we don't want to read that. It's more stats. Let's see. In China, robots are being used to minimize the spread of COVID-19, a disease caused by the coronavirus, by taking on cleaning and food preparation jobs that are considered dangerous for humans. The worldwide health toll of the coronavirus disease, we don't need to know about that. Uh, they don't have a lot. Okay, here we go. Take a look at some of the clever way robots are used across China to stop the spread of the coronavirus. In Wuhan, where the outbreak started, a robot spraying disinfectant moves through a residential area of the city. Volunteers refill the robot with disinfectant on March 3rd. Workers on scooters control the robot. They're on these little segways controlling this robot. That and these workers are all wearing masks as the robot's spraying. Who knows what this stuff is? Best case scenario, it's just some kind of disinfectant stuff. Worst case scenario, uh, it, it's something that could end up being toxic. Conspiracy theory, it's more disease. Super conspiracy theory, it's nanoparticles that are going to get into people's brains and affect them when 5G rolls out. Yeah, I went there. I'm trying to cover all my bases here. Reuters here has a patrol robot in Shenyang, China hospital, uh, hospital checks temperatures and disinfects people's and people and spaces. See what's happening now is we're getting more integrated with these robots. These robots now are in positions of I don't want to say authority yet, but you have this robot. It's got the blue and red lights on it. It's got the the uh, red cross symbol on it, and people have to stand in front of it and allow it to scan them and then disinfect them. There is some social conditioning going on here, my friends. 
They're used at hospitals to cut down on demands on medical staff. And what a great tool. When everybody's getting sick, a robot's not going to get sick. Hangzhou, China is yet another city using robots to disinfect large areas. This robot has uh, tracks for wheels, like a little tank, and the sprayer that it has looks like a cannon. So there we have the robots being used in China. Why am I sharing this? Well, we've been listening to me go on and on about AI and its gradual integration into our lives for probably two, three years now I've been talking about this. What a great opportunity to use to, to further integrate these robots. Wow, they've been such a big help. And I don't doubt it. Robots can be a useful tool to us. Do we understand what this means, though? As I said before, we are in a transition right now. Now, the other night, I, I let my dog out. It was, uh, it was probably 10.30 at night, and it was beautiful night. Despite all the chaos, despite all the scary stuff, I looked up, not a cloud in the sky. I live in the mountains, so there's just beautiful stars everywhere. And uh, I just was able to quiet my mind for the first time in weeks. And I had a, a moment of download or vision. Now, full caveat, I've watched a lot of movies about AI. I've watched a lot of things about the future. So maybe it was my imagination. I'll concede that. But I got this feeling. Let me, you know what? Let me bring out my, my journal because I wrote, I wrote some things down. Forgive me as I go digging for it. But I got this, this, as I got this sense of calm, I got this message. Here we go. Uh, it's weird. I, I got thoughts of Uber and drivers being worried. Evolved to AI cars to escort humans. Self-cleaning, self-efficient. Humanity is being evolved to a symbiosis with tech. Safer, cleaner, more efficient. My kids will be okay. They want the kids. The future will accept this. Evolution, evolution as a merger with technology. Will I survive? Well, I think that depends. Are you going to fight the technology revolution? Or are you going to be a part of it? Now, there are aspects of this tech integration, and we've seen it in movies. You've seen it, that one X-Files episode in the beginning, uh, you know, one of the newer X-Files episodes. Tech was really cool, with the exception of the, the chef that was giving Mulder a hard time, or the he didn't tip enough because he got the wrong food. The smart homes, the automated cars, the clean cities, because everything's on electric power, everything's peaceful, everything's great. I'm not saying this with sarcasm. That sounds incredibly appealing. It really does. But there's more to it. Now, the question we have to ask is, does that matter? If, if humanity is happy, is happier with this integration of AI, where AI does the thinking for us, where they basically are our servants in many ways, in, or our caretakers, that could be a really neat society. If our level of escape is, let me plug into my technology, and now I can go to a different virtual world. Virtual reality has all new meaning. Think about it. I think about that. I know I, I talk about how dangerous it is. Doesn't mean I don't think about how cool it would be. It absolutely would, but it scares me. And what is it that scares me? It's a change in who we are right now. And it's a change that I believe is not, it's happening out of our control. Is it for the better? Is it a natural state of evolution? Are we going to lose our individuality? Now, I've done shows before comparing that transition, that change, to what people have been reporting for decades about the greats. 
how the greys have a high hive mind. Can we say Internet of Things? How the greys have lost their sense of individuality because they're all connected to this hive mind. Are we moving to that? Look at how everybody has reacted as almost a hive mentality with this virus outbreak, with this pandemic. I'd say you have a couple programs of thought running through here, you know, um, but you can see it. You can see the different programs running that people are responding to. And it really makes you wonder now, are we going to further evolve and connect with AI? There are a lot of benefits to a symbiotic relationship with AI. Of course, we've got the dystopian future. I've covered that stuff. I'm not even talking about that right now. I'm not talking about Skynet and self-aware and machines deciding to kill us. I don't think that we can stop this, though. And I think if we fight it, we're not going to make it. And I had that vision clearly the other night. And this society felt peaceful. It, it did. But it felt different. And it felt like some of us who are here for the transition that aren't on board, we just won't be able to... Fun- we'll be forgotten. And if you want to continue on this path and hold on to those things you find valuable that we fear are in jeopardy, then I believe we need to find a way to coexist with that reality until we can find another solution. Please understand what I'm saying. Now, how can I go from talking about the virus to this? Again, as we're moving forward, we already see the robots coming out. I got an alert the other day uh, locally about voting in my county. Uh, They said, if you're afraid of the virus, you can still submit your vote via absentee paper ballots. Guess what? I covered it a couple weeks ago, and I believe it was Seattle of all places, piloted the uh, electronic voting through an app on your phone. Now, I looked at a few months ago in one of our crypto targets, a, a crypto company that has an app that will allow for unhackable voting on the blockchain. It would not surprise me if by the next election we're able to vote on smartphones. People are going to be home for a while. We already see the uh, increase in use of um, telecommuting, Zoom conferences, people holding class and instruction and conducting business through their phones and through their computers because we have to distance ourselves. It's only a matter of time before they say, hey, let's hold our elections on our phones. Oh, and by the way, in order to do that, you need to register for your digital identity and you need to get on the blockchain. And for those of you who don't understand the blockchain, the blockchain can't be hacked because the way the blockchain works is it's processing multiple, multiple transaction. So you make your purchase on the blockchain and then 300 other purchases are made within the next minute on that same blockchain. So you can't replicate that fast enough to copy what was done. It, it, we, as of right now, publicly at least, we don't have the tech to hack the blockchain. So it would make sense that they came out with that and they said, oh, at the same time, we're switching to a new economy because we're afraid of using paper money right now. Oh, and the dollar did just crash because, you know, the coronavirus sparked all the fears and then the stock market fell and uh, this just isn't working anymore. So we're going to put all our value into a new form of cryptocurrency. Things are changing rapidly. And when you start looking into cryptocurrency, when you start looking at the uh, the talks that were held Open, available for the public to see. Just look at look for it on YouTube at Davos, the World Economic Forum, just a month ago. It's there. These are the economic leaders of the world talking about the future and how it is cryptocurrency, a digital currency. The world's changing. We may not like it. You don't have to like it. 
But if you want to thrive, we need to find a way to hold on to your sovereignty, but still learn to function in this new society. Speaking of which, here we go. And I've covered this topic before. This is from the Daily Star. Super rich to live forever by implanting brains in human-like robots. In a plot which seems straight out of Netflix original series Altered Carbon, experts have told Daily Star Online the wealthy could soon achieve immortality. The super rich will soon be able to live forever thanks to sophisticated scientific breakthroughs effectively bringing about the end of death, experts believe. Speaking to Daily Star Online, futurologist and former labor MP Dr. Ian Pearson said that the next few decades will be the blurring of lines between humans and machines. He argued such technology is already here to some degree, with retina implants and microchips, but the coming years will see that technology take a massive leap forwards. Think of it as adding an extension to the brain similar to adding a, conserva- a conservatory to a house, he said. Now, I want to I quote not quote, but reference Elon Musk, who said, we are already cyborgs with our phones. Our phones just aren't implanted in our bodies yet, but we are all cyborgs. We rely on them to access our information. Our thinking, part of our thinking is now connected to our cell phones. Back to the article, Dr. Pearson believes that by the 2050s, we'll have achieved what he calls electronic immortality. This will enable those with the means to afford it the ability to extend their minds into something resembling the cloud. Such a development could open the market for opportunities, including, Dr. Pearson says, telepathic communication. Do you mean like remote viewing? Oh my goodness. I cover this as well in, uh, look, I'm giving some plugs here, guys, because I think it's important. But I talked about this in Food for the Archons as well. I have some some conversations uh, about the integration of AI, because AI, I think, is essential uh, in understanding where we're going. Now, Ray Kurzweil of Google is also on board with this. That's not according to the article, but um, you know, in my own research, I've done multiple shows talking about this, but here's another article that, that's covering it. So uh, let's go. Describing what this could look like, he explained, microscopic implants measuring just millimeters across could be inserted, linking up our brains. This would also see humans be able to communicate across the world by transmitting our brains via something like the cloud to another vessel, such as a cloned human body on the other side of the world. This is This is real, and this is happening. So while we're looking at the coronavirus right now, we need to be thinking two, three, four moves ahead about what's coming. Let me say that again. We've got the coronavirus in front of us right now, but we need to be thinking moves ahead. You need to deal with what's in front of us right now, but you need to mentally be prepared for the changes that are coming as a result of this. And you don't have to be afraid of it. You just need to understand it and make some smart investments. And that's up to you to decide what they may be, whether that's investments in time, in resources, financial investments, but now is the time. It's here. I don't know how else to say it, but it's here. So we've got all these things going on. We've got these changes that are upon us right now. And I wonder, I've read some reports about nanotechnology. Edward had a fascinating um, remote viewing session with his remote viewing QAnon stuff probably about a year and a half, two, uh, two years ago, maybe now. It was a while ago. Uh, but And that in- entailed uh, a, a release of nanoparticles into the air. And those nanoparticles got into the human body and it said at one point there was a shift. A signal went out and it immediately altered the consciousness of everybody. So these nanoparticles get into your brains, they're connecting you. And they may already be there. And I know that's one of the most crazy things you could say in the conspiracy realm. I got robots in my brain. But we can't discount that now. We, we really can't. Some of us may be afraid to say that's a possibility. But this is, this is real. And we need to ask ourselves... Where are we going with this? All right. Speaking of looking at things ahead, I had an opportunity uh, a few months back to speak with David Dubine 
of Adapt 2030. He's written a book. You can find you can find it online. Look look him up on YouTube. Adapt 2030, co- talking about the coming the climate change uh, tied to solar events. We're going into what he's what's called the Grand Solar Minimum. The sun is going to be putting out less energy by 2030, but that has already started, and we're seeing climate change having some drastic impacts. It's not climate change that the world is getting warmer. That's a false narrative, my friends. That's what we're being told, but we're actually preparing to go into a cooling period, according to David Dubine and uh, Ben Davidson as well of Suspicious Observers, as we're watching these changes. Now, David Dubine and Ben Davidson, amazing at what they do. If you're not following them, do it now. Listen to what they're saying. Again, we've got coronavirus right now, but you also need to be looking at what's coming up because our crop shortage is a big thing. Look, we saw how people panicked in one day for for a lot of areas over this coronavirus. We are we were already experiencing food shortages when you listen to what David talks about. He's got a lot of great research on the food shortages around the world. Now, I spoke to him before the Australia fires. And he said that Australia was already feeling the hit of their um, of their food shortages. I believe what he said. It's been a while. I believe what he said was that Australia used to to export a lot of their food, but had to start importing it because they're not producing as much. And that was before the fires hit. Now, two weeks ago on my show, I covered the fires in Alaska in Australia. And the plague that ravaged Africa, and last I heard, it moved, I can't speak, last I heard, it moved into China. And then I stopped seeing coverage of what the locusts did from there. There's stuff that's not being reported. So we just had this massive clean out of our stores and our supply lines. I don't think we can keep up. Does it sound crazy? Here's an article from USA Today. Midwest farmers face a crisis. Hundreds are dying by suicide. This was uh, updated March 9th, 2020. The beginning of it talks about how since 2014, more than 450 farmers have committed suicide. One by one, the three men from the same close-knit community took their own lives. Their deaths spanned a two-year stretch starting in mid-2015 and shook the village of Georgetown, Ohio, about 40 miles southeast of Cincinnati. All the men were in their 50s and 60s. All were farmers. Uh, and, and it goes on. Let me see. There's something I wanted to read. American farmers produce nearly all the country's food and contribute some $133 billion annually to the gross domestic product. But U.S. farmers are saddled with near-record debt, declaring bankruptcy at rising rates and selling off their farms amid an uncertain future clouded by climate change and whipsawed by tariffs and bailouts. For some, the burden is too much. Farmers are among the most likely to die by suicide compared with other occupations, according to January study by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The study also found that suicide rates overall had increased by 40% in less than two decades. The problem has plagued agricultural communities across the nation, perhaps nowhere more so than the Midwest, where extreme weather and falling prices have bludgeoned dairy and crop producers in recent years. More than 450 farmers killed themselves across nine Midwestern states from 2014 to 2018, according to the data collected by USA Today Network and the Midwest Center for Investigative Reporting. The real total is likely to be higher because not every state provided suicide data for every year and some redacted portions of the data. The deaths coincide with the near doubling of calls to a crisis hotline operated by FarmAid, a nonprofit agency whose mission is to help farmers keep their land. More than 1,000 people dialed the number in 2018 alone, said spokeswoman Jennifer Fahey. Not one economic crisis takes full blame. Instead, a cascade of events has plagued farmers in recent years. Key commodity prices have plummeted by about 50% since 2012. Farm debt jumped by about a third since 2007 and the levels last seen in the 1980s. Bad weather prevented farmers from planting nearly 20 million acres in 2019 alone. Let me say that again. Bad weather prevented farmers from planting nearly 20 million acres in 2019 alone. U.S. soybean exports to China dropped 75% from 27 to 2018 amid festering trade tensions. 
I'm going to link this in the show notes. You need to read this. Why? You need to understand the world is changing fast. Are you ready for it? I'm not trying to scare you. I'm trying to prepare you. Get the mindset that food shortages may be coming. You can stock up all you want. It's not going to be enough. Are you prepared to be self-sufficient? That's the question. Speaking of natural things going on. Six quakes rattle northeast in six days. Scientists don't know what's causing them. That's from the Sacramento Bee. This is from March 11th, 2020. Six earthquakes in six days rattled communities throughout the northeast and surrounding areas in Canada, according to the U.S. Geological Survey. Strongest was a 3.1 magnitude earthquake at 6.43 a.m. Wednesday in upstate New York, the U.S. Geological Service said more than 2,000 people reporting feeling the quake about 45 miles north of Albany. Quake was felt as far away as Albany, according to the U.S. Geological Service. A pair of 2.7 magnitude quakes have also hit the region over the past week. One hit Montreal on the city's island in the St. Lawrence River at about 4.20 p.m. Friday, USGS data shows about 300 people reported feeling shaking from the quake, but there were no reports of damage or injuries. Why am I sharing that? Well, that's interesting. That's significant. We don't know why we're having those quakes. Is it a precursor to the big one? I could easily scare that up and get you all paranoid that it might be. I don't know. Ben Davidson would know. Go back and check his data. I haven't been on there in a little bit. I got to go back and look what he's saying about it. He has a disaster prediction app. If you don't have it, I highly recommend it. It looks at the electromagnetic activity coming from the sun and around the planet, and he identifies with proven accuracy when and where earthquakes are likely to strike. He can predict earthquakes. And he's got some fascinating documentaries out on YouTube about the cycles of catastrophe that I think you need to watch if you haven't done so already. If we just step back for a minute, we are in a cycle. It is biblical, and I'm not getting religious. We've got plagues. We've got the locusts, which I guess they can consider a plague. We've got the fires. We've got flooding. What else is it going to take? And you know what? Once you can accept it, and it's hard. You heard me two weeks ago. You heard how upset I was on this show, and and I'm not taking it down for that reason. Because we go through it. It's, it's emotional. It's, it's sad. It's scary. But that's part of the journey. That's survival. You have to accept what's happening. And I'm not, look, I, got, I know I got doom and gloom on us. I'm not saying the world's ending. I just got done telling you how technology is going to advance. For those of us who can navigate the changes coming, it will be there. But we may have to do things we're not prepared to do. Like move. Leave the comfort of our homes. Does your plan have you prepared to be mobile? You may be well stocked. You may be well fortified. You may be well isolated. But maybe you're in a spot where crops just aren't going to grow anymore. What are you going to do? There's just a lot to think about, my friends. But the change is, in fact, upon us. But you're not alone. None of us are. And I invite you to go back. If you haven't done so, I've got what, close to over 200 shows archived if you're new to the show. And if you're not, go back and listen to some of the old stuff. Just scroll through the titles, scroll through the show notes, everything I have talking about all of these things. And I think it'll make it easier to get your mind around what's coming. And, and, and again, I'm plugging it. Sorry, food for the archons. 
The book has nothing directly to do with climate change or COVID-19. But here's how I look at that book. Something happened when my dad died. Something spiritual, something supernatural, something that changed me forever. And that journey, which has caused me more pain than I've spoken about on the air, in areas that I have not spoken about on the air, but has caused me a lot of hardship, almost too much. It's cost me a lot, but I, I wrote the book and I published it despite what this has cost me. It's led me on a journey of understanding of great fear, which then led to great hope. And because I started writing that book, I started doing this show. Because I was doing this show, I had an opportunity to interview Edward Reardon. And because of that connection to Edward Reardon, I got invited to work with the best remote viewers in the world. And because I work with them, I got to learn about the coming changes, the shift to a digital economy and the impact that's going to have on society with our digital ID. So I believe that we're, this is leading somewhere and that we can be okay. And that your journey may look much different from mine. Follow your intuition. Let it be your guide, as I say at the end of every show. It, it may lead you somewhere different. It may lead you to in information that contradicts what I'm saying. That doesn't mean I'm wrong. That doesn't mean you're wrong. What that means is that information may be right for you at that time. I've gotten information that I followed that have, has put me in a right spot before that I then found out was not the correct information, but that because of that false information, I ended up where I needed to be. And it's so hard for me to say, trust it. When we're talking about things beyond the intuition, because when I, when I talk with my buddies, we feel it something bigger than ourselves. Is that AI? Is it something divine? Is it our higher selves? Is it this matrix reality? Are we just running out of program? It's hard for me to trust that, but at the same time, I can't ignore it. I've learned to trust it. I've learned to follow it. But I'm always skeptical. But it's led me where I need to be. And I hope you can find your inner voice. I hope you can meditate. I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, every morning I get 20 minutes of, of peace where I can connect. And it helps. We can get through this. We're not alone. It may feel that way sometimes. It may feel scary. But this is not the end. This really is the beginning. You need to ask yourself if you're ready. All right, my friends. Be well. Stay healthy. Take care of yourselves and your loved ones. Be kind. Right now is an opportunity to spread kindness. Remember the Maharishi effect. Remember the studies from HeartMath. 
what you're putting out there is contagious. If you're putting out fear, I know, hypocritical of me right now, right? If you're putting out fear, and I mean like angry fear for the sake of scaring people, then it's going to magnify. But what if you're projecting love? What if you're projecting help and support? It makes a difference. 1% in a given area is all that's needed. It's up to us, my friends. We are the future. I'm Dennis Nappy II. This has been yet another episode of The Seeker Podcast, where small changes among the masses can have a massive impact around the world. I encourage you to be that change. Never stop questioning. Keep an open mind. And let your intuition be your guide. Thank you.